When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Song Facts Podcast. My name is Corey O'Flanagan, and I just want to thank you so much for being here and listening. As always, this show is proudly a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. So, If you have listened to the show before, you've likely caught wind of the fact that I am indeed a massive Grateful Dead fan. You could go ahead and call me a deadhead. Well, on today's episode, a dream comes true as I get to speak with a former member of the band. From 1972 to 1979, Donna Jean Godshow was a singer and songwriter with the Grateful Dead. I talked to Donna about her time with the Dead, as well as her time before she joined them and was singing backup in Muscle Shoals, Alabama and Memphis, Tennessee, with people like Percy Sledge and Elvis. She was a part of a couple of incredible songs, and she shares some of those stories with us. Her memory is very impressive, as she recalls specifics about those recording sessions from the late 60s and 70s. However, We start the show with her latest re-release of a song called Shelter that is available now as she gives us the story of why she felt this song needed a fresh take as the world was reeling from a pandemic. I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Donna Jean Gancho. To jump kind of right into things, I want to start out with this new song that you guys have re-recorded and put out called Shelter. Um, And if there's anything that I get wrong with factually, just let me know. But you co-wrote it over 10 years ago with Jeff Mattson. Um, And people might know him. He's the guitarist for Dark Star. He's played with Phil and Friends. He's just kind of been around that scene for a long time. But my question is, why was it important for you guys to get this fresh take on, on this particular song? Well, it's twofold. One, Jeff and I had talked about for years and years uh, redoing the song and and at least adding some new background vocals on the choruses that we wanted to be heavier and more gospel sounding and just uh, just a deeper groove there with the with the vocals and yep. In the initial recording of it, we, we didn't get there. And so 
both Jeff and I for all of these years have thought we would really love to redo that. And so during this pandemic, when everybody had the time and nobody was really traveling, uh, you know, I live in Alabama. Uh, Jeff Matson lives in New York on Long Island. And so we talked back and forth and we have major recording studios down here. And one of our best friends, Jimmy Nutt, owns really the best studio now here in Muscle Shoals called the Nut House. Okay. And so we took the hard drive from uh, the, the track that we did on Long Island and brought it down here to Muscle Shoals. Now, as well, it came really into fruition Number one, that Jeff and I wanted, had always wanted to redo this part. And then as well, the lyrics to Shelter and kind of the, the meaning of the song really translates perfectly with what's going on in America today. And as a matter of fact, in the world. Yeah. Uh, and so we just thought the combination of those two things is the prescription. Get the hard drive, get in the studio and redo what you want to do and get this thing out because it's time is now. Yeah. Well, and those background vocals really definitely add something to this. And I, what's always curious to me is you recorded the original one. I think if I'm right in Long Island, closer mm -hmm. to where, um, where Jeff lives. Yeah. And then, like you said, this newer version, you guys came down and did it in Alabama. Right. It gets me thinking, how did, in your experience, how does recording in different studios make for different feels and then different final products? Like, do you feel like if you guys would have done this in Alabama originally, would that have, would you have maybe felt a little bit differently and maybe got the sound originally? Or do you feel like that doesn't matter as much? Well, so many things go into a recording that it's the people involved, um, the studio, the engineer. I mean, everything is involved in any recording that you do. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of hard to pinpoint which would have been better. Uh, all I know is that the track itself that we did on Long Island was, was a good track. And uh, it just fell short of what I was thinking when I wrote the lyrics and the melody to the song. And uh, so we just had to get into this adventure of seeing what we could do with it now. And as well, when we did the background vocals, then they were so strong yeah, and so pronounced and just took the song into another direction. We realized that we needed to redo the rhythm section to pump it up to meet where this was headed. And so my husband, David McKay, who's a really fine bass player, yep. he actually replaced the bass. And then Jimmy Nutt, who owns the studio and is also a drummer, he replaced a, a bunch of the vote uh, of the, um, uh, the drum track. We left some percussion, some things from the drums there, but the main crux that you hear in the drums, Jimmy Nutt did. And, and it, 
it came down to what was in my head and my thinking was I want the rhythm section to be more tribal sounding yeah and you just pound it out and and make it as forceful as what the lyrics are saying and indeed what we're going through and uh and I think that the combination of the vocals redoing the bass and the drums took it into that place that both Jeff and I wanted it to be and we're thrilled at how it turned out and uh, I'm so glad that we did it that we had the time and the opportunity in the studio and all the things that are involved in putting something like this together yeah we had it at our fingertips and so we went for it and I by Jove, I think we got it. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, it, it's such a good result. And I, I just have to say on a personal note, you're, um, it's just so impressive to me how your vocals have held up. I mean, you've been doing, you've been at this a long time and it sounds just, you still got a lot of power. It's, it's really impressive. Is that something that you're still keeping up with and, and practicing on a regular basis? Well, not to the extent, of course, that I used to. But I'm going to always sing. That's all there is to it. Yeah. And uh, I've been doing that since I was four years old. And my little neighbor boy hit me in the ear to try to get me to stop singing on the back porch. So <laughs> it's, I don't think anything is going to stop now. And well, so let's I be just... thankful that you didn't listen to that little boy. <laughs> <laughs> he actually burst my eardrum. He hit me so hard. Oh my God. Stop singing. <laughs> um, so. Okay. So you had said that this song kind of came back around because of the the time that we're in. And I, I really just right. like to, the, the idea behind this podcast is to really just kind of dive into this. So what I like to try and figure out here is the contrast between what was going on in your head to get these lyrics out originally versus what they kind of mean now. And like, I, I just love that about music. It can circle back around and have a whole new importance over time. But what were you originally thinking when you wrote it versus what it means to you now? Well, at the time, uh, I remember there was something pretty heavy going on overseas, which it, really takes place in the lyrics of the song. Yeah. I just incorporated that feel and that feeling and that intensity of what was happening. And so it, it was something that I was feeling at the time and it was real at the time and important at the time, which is why I wrote the song the way I did. But now in 2000, 21, uh, the lyrics are even more, well, they're just up front even more yeah. because of what's, what we've been going through and, and what the world is going through. It's heavy out there. Oh man, you know? it is. And, uh, on every wise, you know, it, in just about any way you can think about it, there are obstacles to overcome these days. And that's why I ended every chorus with there is shelter for the soul because it, 
you look around and you go, what, where's the safe place? You know, you're in Alabama and you got tornadoes and then you're up north and you've got all this snow and everything yep. coming to a screeching halt. You've got the fires in California and earthquakes and all, all of the things. And that's just America. And then there's all of this uh, plethora of things that are going on in the world at large. And so now is the time that I think we're all searching for that place to where we feel some kind of safety. And that's why I ended the courses with Shelter for the Soul. It's where you hang your hat. So that's... And it's like just kind of finding that peace within when there's so much chaos on the outside is kind of the the vibe that I absolutely took from it. You, you have to, you've got to find that place or you'll go under and we can't do that. And we're not going to do that. We're going to rise to this occasion and we're going to get through with flying colors, but it's going to be a haul and we've got to stick with the haul and get through it. Persevere. Uh, yeah, and I, there's one thing we we are resilient um, beings. We 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 certainly are, and that's such a great message. And I appreciate that. So, I, if you'd allow me to just nerd out a little bit here, and <laughs> let's go on a little bit of a musical journey. And um, I'm gonna I, I feel I'm gonna test your memory a little bit, if that's okay. Oh my gosh. Now, <laughs> now I'm probably in real trouble. Go ahead. <laughs> we, I, we got this. I'm gonna, we're going to start out and I'm going to do this. I'm gonna, I, we're going to first go back to just a couple of different eras in the history of the Grateful Dead. And I want to stop off first around 1976 and 77. And I want to ask you about your lovely song, Sunrise. that was on Terrapin Station that you sang Mm -hmm. and I believe co-wrote. And just if you can remember, how did this song come together and then end up on that album? Because I I think it stands out. It doesn't sound like many of the other songs on that album. And it's, it's a unique one. So I I figured that there's something there that, uh, that maybe hasn't been told. Well, probably a lot of things haven't been told, but I, I did write that alone. And the reason that, it came, the songwriting like that came out in me at that time was Garcia said to me, I want you to write a song for this album. And, uh, and I just kind of got to it. And the band had been hanging out a lot with Rolling Thunder, the Indian medicine man. And so the whole song Sunrise is about sunrise services that we attended uh, for various things and what Rolling Thunder would do. And it's very literal, actually. Yeah. Uh, And what Rolling Thunder would do to conduct uh, a sunrise service. 
So that's kind of how that came about. And the, well, you talked about that it's different than the other songs. It is in a way, but in the deeper way, it's not. It's right in there. Mm -hmm. And if you'll notice on the cover of the back of Terrapin Station is, you know, of course, the, the skeleton with the eagle feather. And it, it's got a very Native American feel to it. Yeah. And then you get the Terrapin Station and all of that. And so it's in there. It, it's just not totally obvious. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. And I, I think from just like a production standpoint, it got me wondering where, how did you write the song? And then, you know, it obviously came from this really raw place to become this, you know, that song has so many layers to it. So when you first wrote it, do you just put down lyrics or do you use an instrument? How do you do it? Uh, I write on the keyboard, on the piano. Oh, okay. And we lived in Tiburon, California when I wrote the song. And uh, I think the lyrics and the music came together at the same time. And I would just sit at the piano and it just flowed. I can't explain it. Huh. It just flowed together. And it's one of the easiest songs I've ever written. Uh, and I, I love this. I love that song. And yeah. of course, we all loved Rolling Thunder. And so it's, it's a deep cut. Yeah. You know, it was not a frivolous thing to write it or to sing it. And uh, like I said, it was a it's a deep cut and so i'm very proud of that song yeah well absolutely you should be and i got I, a couple of years ago for christmas my brother got me terrapin station on vinyl and um and that was when going back and listening to it not as a digital version but actually as the vinyl record was uh, that whole album it just i don't know it changes it for me. I, I love getting things on vinyl if I can. And, and um, that was really, I felt I'd heard Sunrise before, but I felt like that was the first time that I really listened to it, if that makes any sense. Of course. <laughs> but as well on Sunrise, uh, we incorporated one of the Native American medicine men in from los angeles we cut it in los angeles uh -huh. and uh and so he came and brought the medicine drum and so that's what you hear on the end is it's the real deal okay and it was it was like a sanctuary in that studio when he was playing that oh i can't even imagine Uh, it was very heavy. It was very heavy. Okay, so now let's go to this infamous stretch of music and shows that were performed around May of 1977. And that obviously includes the big fan favorite, uh, the Cornell Show. Cornell, yeah. And as a longtime member of the band, I just have always wondered if there's anything 
that you distinctively remember being different in just the energy surrounding the band or anything that you feel like when you look back, you're like, that was what made that time so special and unique. That's why we were so tight during that stretch. Well, that's a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because we did so many shows. Yeah. And if, if you would have asked me that, is this show special? I would go, it's special because every time the Grateful Dead plays, it's special. Yeah. You know, whether they're really, really on or it was not an on night, it's still the Grateful Dead and it's still the most unique music that you're going to hear. And so as far as it, uh, concerts like Cornell are concerned. It's it's now that I look back on it and and hear what we were doing, I thought, gosh, we did that? Yeah. I was in that <laughs> band. I was in that band. I got and it's it's pretty incredible. But a lot of people ask me, you know, what are your favorite shows? Do you remember this show? Do you remember that show? And I have distinct memories of just a few shows, but we played so many and there were so many tours and so many hockey rinks and so many of just playing music all the time. It's hard to delineate between one show and the next. It just, it's hard to describe. <laughs> no, I, I think that that's something too. I mean, that's like asking somebody who works, you know, 50 weeks out of the year, five days a week to go back and be like, okay, you had this really great run of sales in April of 1983. Can you describe what was going on with it? It's a, it's a hard question, but um, you know, that in the, in the end, that was your job. And so it's, it, it's yeah. going to morph together. But the nice thing about your job was that you had all these beautiful table people recording it and and making these amazing you know tapes and albums out of it and it's uh, something that you have the ability to go back to and and have that experience like you said like I just can't believe that I was on that stage that's crazy it is crazy it's still crazy to me that that really did happen uh, and I always say that. I wouldn't take anything for playing in that band with those people, that music at that time. And it's like you put all of those things together and that calls for magic. Yeah. That makes magic. And I consider myself one of the most fortunate people in the world to have had the opportunity to do that and be around the incredible people that I was around. And not only getting to listen to that music all the time, but getting to be a part of it was awesome. Yeah. I mean, what can I say? Stay tuned for more Song Facts Podcast right after this. Ever wonder how my voice is bouncing off your eardrums so clean and crispy? No? Well, let me tell you anyway. The Lyra Microphone by AKG brings their legendary acoustic engineering to a versatile USB mic that delivers the highest quality audio in its class. 
USB connection. This is good for me because of the simplicity and the ability to just plug and play without an interface. You may have gathered from various episodes that I am doing this show on the road, so being that I record most interviews in a different location than the last, it is good for me to know that I have a high-quality, easy-to-transport-and-use USB mic like the Lyra to make sure my sound is clean. Whether you're like me and recording a podcast, a musician recording vocals or an instrument, or if you need to do a voiceover for a YouTube channel... Lyra's innovative AKG Adaptive Capsule Array adapts to your performance to record pristine audio. It has four versatile capture modes. What's a capture mode, you ask? That is how the mic picks up your voice. Just trust me, with these four options, it's really all you're going to need. With AKG Lyra, you'll be up and running in no time, no matter your experience level. There's no assembly, no need for separate audio interface, no fiddling with software settings. It just works right out of the box. And Lyra is something that is compatible with Windows, Mac, iOS, and Android devices, and all major recording softwares. So, if you're looking for a mic that offers ease of use along with a high-quality sound, Check out the AKG Lyra and look no further. Yeah, I know. I know exactly. I, I, it's one of those things that I think it probably is just indescribable. And it's a you constantly are pinching yourself. And I would be. I pinch myself any time that I just get in my car and I get I put on a show that I haven't listened to. And I'm just like, God, it's just like it's just never ending. And, I, you know, like I said, I listen to these <laughs> all the time and every day that I do I'm surprised by it and I just love it but this got me thinking about another question because of how all over the you know the band is it's just known for being so loose you never know what you're going to experience and you can see the band three nights in a row and every night has a completely different sound and feel and I'm wondering if you can answer a question such as which dead song was most unpredictable when played live if there's one that stands out to you you were like when we get into this one i just don't know where it's gonna go well that happened with every song every night all the time (laughs) (laughs) but uh whether it was tempo or the whole sense of the song the vibe of the song everything changed so often and with every show is why the Grateful Dead audience didn't want to miss a show, even though they could have played the same song again the next night, yep. the same show again, but it was going to be different and they knew it and they didn't want to miss it. And that's the beauty of the Grateful Dead. Yeah. And uh, that is the attraction that so many hundreds of thousands of people had to the Grateful Dead is that you go to a concert and it's an adventure. And And one of the things that I love is just that the spirit seems to be carrying on in in different formations, but there's, there's something there that I obviously never got to see the full, you know, lineup of any, any point in time up until um, Jerry's passing. I was just too young, but I've seen the remaining members. I've seen you play with um, Dead and Co. And um, I've, I've just got to get a sense of it, but I'm, 
it, it, it to me it's just this amazing thing to watch this carry on and see these different generations of people gravitating towards it and i've brought people to shows that have never heard it before and i love doing that because it's always just you know it's it's the music but it's also the scene it's the people it's the energy around it and so i wanted to spend a little bit of time on that obviously just because i'm such a big fan but i also want to go back one more stop and this kind of takes us back to the late 60s and if I'm wrong on any of this, please tell me. But from what I can dig up, you sang backup on two massive hits. One is When a Man Loves a Woman by Percy Sledge. then Suspicious Minds by Elvis. And you were just in your late teens and early 20s during this time. And I'm just wondering if you have any memories of recording for these tracks. Yes, <laughs> the answer is <laughs> very much so. Uh, memories that are big, huge, and profound that I will never, ever forget. And both of those situations with Percy it was it was the magic and muscle shells coming together and all of a sudden here is this massive hit record recorded in this little northwestern podunk town in Alabama and how did that happen well all of the musicians including the the swampers you know you would have to go just look it up and it'll tell you everything yeah but we all grew up together and we were all friends and we were all musically inclined and so when the studio started really springing up in the muscle shows area that's where we all ended up was in the studios and so well, let me see if I want to say this. I was, in, I, was, <laughs> I was in love with David Hood, who was one of the Swampers, when I was 13. I mean, that's, that's how far back we go. And so the whole thing that happened with Percy was very, very organic. So it wasn't put together by a company or anything. It was put together because of this Starsville on Alabama or whatever, you know, it's another thing that I get asked a lot that I can't describe. Yeah. But then this whole musical thing happened here with Aretha and Otis Redding and uh, just so many hit records came out of this little and Paul Simon. I mean, so many hit records came out from Muscle Shoals. And so that was one thing. OK, then the other thing is the Memphis Sessions with Elvis.
we were thrilled beyond thrilled to get the call that Elvis Presley wanted us little podunk girls in Northwestern Alabama yeah. to come and sing on his comeback album, basically. And when I was nine, I think I was nine years old, maybe 10, but between nine and 10, I went to the theater. We lived in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh -huh. And I went to the theater to see Love Me Tender. And you couldn't even hear the dialogue. There was so much screaming. Just And, and, and I remember I, I was just like overwhelmed with Elvis Presley. And if I had known then that I would be singing on one of his records. Oh, well, my. You know, I don't think I could have lived. But uh, we did get the call and we were just. We couldn't believe it, but. Uh, long story short, Elvis was was so encouraging, kind, and uh, he was he was wonderful to us. And so, with all the negativity that goes on about Elvis and his this and his, him doing this and that, he was a very kind man at his heart and his soul. And uh, I wouldn't take anything in the world for being able to sing with, with him. Oh my gosh. Uh, I, I mean, then, just saying it. <laughs> and then this is, this is an aside, but to me, it was very important that there was a period of time in the Jerry Garcia band that Keith and I were in also that the drummer Ron Tut was Elvis's road drummer. And so, you know, we would do Garcia band tours and he would be on tour with Elvis and this and that. And then we would come together. And then I believe we were making Cats Under the Stars. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I said, Tut, I don't know why I'm all of a sudden asking you to do this because we would talk sporadically about Elvis, but not very much. And I said, the next time you see Elvis, will you just tell him I said hello and, you know, I sang on Suspicious Minds and in the ghetto and, and he goes, oh yeah, I can do that. <laughs> and then a few days later, Tut had to leave to go on the road with Elvis. And I had had emergency surgery and I was waking up from surgery in recovery and my phone rang in the hospital room and it was Ron Tut telling me that Elvis had died. Oh, really? And uh, he said, I, I saw him the other day and I told him what you said. And he said, well, tell her I remember her and I hope I get to see her again. Oh, oh, that's really incredible. So. And that's probably what ten years after the after the recording session, right? Yes, at least I would think. And so, was it just you with a group of um, like local Alabama 
singers that that got that phone call that that's what i'm just trying to wrap my head around is it's just i mean muscle this is before muscle shoals was anything so you guys you know it wouldn't have been like oh we got to go down here we've got this great group of people i'm just wondering how the connection was made well this was after percy sledge and all the people had started recording here in muscle shows okay so so we were a background uh, session background vocal group that you know we were we worked on sessions and uh we were called southern comfort and my friend Jeannie green and i were the ones that were very much local. We lived here. Uh, the other two girls, one lived in Nashville, I think, and the other one had gotten married and lived in, I think, Arizona or something. But anyway, uh, bottom line is we had been working together for years by the time we worked with Elvis. And so he knew who we were. And um, it was real odd the way that he even got to hear Suspicious Minds because Colonel Parker would not let him record anything that they didn't publish. Okay. And so Elvis was in the studio at American Sound in Memphis and our friend Mark James had an office there uh, at American Sound and Elvis walked by Mark's office who wrote Suspicious Minds, and Mark was playing the demo that we had done. Uh, we had done the background vocals on his version of Suspicious Minds, and Elvis walked in and said, I want that song, and I want those girls, and so against all the odds that, you know, his management uh, would let him record that, he, he prevailed and got to record sus Suspicious Minds. So it, it, I have so many stories, Corey. I, I can tell. And I, the, Donna, I just got to, I love this. This is why this podcast exists is these kinds of stories. I just love being able to, and you, you're doing a very good job of taking me and, and the listeners there. I, I honestly, I feel like I can picture it really well. So you're, I've, I've tested your memory. You've passed the huh. test. You did a great <laughs> job. And now I'm going to, I got one more question for you. And I, I, I thank you so much for your time, but I've obviously been talking to a lot of people and a lot of musicians over the last year or so. And everyone is just so ready to get back in front of people performing. And it made me start to sure. think of you guys doing this new song and probably you have a lifetime of performing behind you. And is it something that fans can expect to see when gigs start to happen regularly again? Are you ready to get back out? Well, we'll see about that. Uh, the thing is, is that musicians who have been used to being on the road and in front of people, uh, we're going to have, and as well as everybody else who has a job, who's not been able to be at their job, we're going to have to renegotiate how to re-enter this new world that we're going to be in. It's not going to be the same. It's going to be different. And so I'm, I'm loathe to say what I'm going to do or not going to do yeah. until I find and walk my way through to 
the new norm. Yep. So we'll see about that. I can't answer that question right now. I think that's really fair. I, I and I've, I know that um, there's a lot of, you know, answers. There's a lot of questions that are lingering without answers right now that that we have all got to try and just be patient exactly. for. And, um That's that's why this song that you have is is so important. And um, we're gonna play it to a few new ears, I hope. And I just. I, I can't thank you enough. This is just an absolute dream come true. I was telling everyone that I know that I get to talk to you and they're just like, oh my God, this is like, <laughs> it's so amazing. I, I really appreciate your time and I hope that you stay safe and, and your family does. And, and I hope to see you out there again sometime because I've seen it before and, and it's amazing. And thank you for giving your gift to everyone. Well, it's my pleasure. And if people want to uh, download Shelter, they can go to Donna Jean and the Tricksters dot here now, and here is spelled H E A R, here now dot com. So Donna Jean and the Tricksters dot here now dot com. And um, and have at it. And I hope you like it, everybody. Absolutely. And we'll link to it so that people can easily just click the link in the show notes and, and have a listen as soon as this wraps up. And thank you so much. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Well, my pleasure, Corey. And you be safe out there and healthy and all that good stuff. So appreciative to Donna for spending some time with us. I really could have just sat there and grilled her and nerded out on Grateful Dead stuff for hours and hours, but I didn't want to take up too much of her time, and honestly, those stories that she had about Elvis and her time in Muscle Shoals were just incredible. So, thank you so much, and as always, for the stories behind the songs, go to songfacts.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.